down in front. What's the real truth about Charles Foster Kane? It depends on who's talking about him. Charles Foster Kane is... Charles Foster Kane is nothing more or less than a communist. I'm going to marry him next week at the White House. I can't help but admire him. He's crazy. He's wonderful. Welcome to Old Fogies and Films. Each episode, the members of this panel take turns assigning a film to watch and discuss. We have Ruth, Eric, Shelley, Nagia, and me, Fahad. This round, we're discussing my pick, that standard setting 1941 classic, Orson Welles' Citizen Kane. Is it really a cinematic masterpiece? The Fogies are, of course, just the experts to decide. <laughs> The movie is about the life of a millionaire named Charles Foster Kane and the mystery surrounding his dying word, Rosebud. The movie follows a reporter as he talks to people from Kane's life as he tries to unravel the mystery. His investigation gradually reveals an interesting portrait of a man who rose from obscurity. Unfortunately for the reporter, he never gets to figure out what Rosebud meant, but thankfully the audience learns the truth. Um, so I'll go ahead and just tell you all a little bit about what I thought, and then we'll go around uh, the group and see what you all thought about the movie as well. So the reason I chose this movie is because in almost everything I see about film, Citizen Kane's always talked mm -hmm. about as being the greatest film of all time. And every list always has it as number one, the best film, the greatest film ever made. So of course I wanted to see, is that true? Um, is this the greatest film ever made? For me, it's a little hard, right? Because I watch movies that were made a long time ago and I'm like, oh, they were okay because I'm so used to movies that are made now. So it's hard to look at older movies and compare them to the movies that we're getting these days. So I tried my best going into this one to being like, let me put on my 1941 hat. Like I'm watching the movie then or even 20 years after that, just to see, see like, you know, what were people thinking when they gave it such accolades? So... Um, I decided to have that as our movie for everybody to watch because I wanted to hear what you all thought. So as I was watching the movie, I was actually really enjoying it. I'm not a big fan of older movies, especially black and white movies, as you all know. Um, but this one just kind of kept you interested throughout the whole movie. Um, this type of storytelling, the way that it, and I'm guessing maybe it was one of the first movies that really did a good job of showing you this is what's going on in present time. But now we're going to do flashbacks to fill in the pieces to help you really go through this mystery yourself. And as if you're investigating it, you're learning things along the way. Um, and I thought this movie did a really good job with that aspect of the storytelling. So, yeah. So overall, I really did enjoy this movie. It really made you feel like you were that reporter trying to investigate what the word rosebud meant. You know, all along, I was trying to pick up little cool clues and trying to figure it out myself. Like, what could this be? Um, and Eric's going to laugh at this, but me being me about 
two thirds into the film, I'm like, you know what? I bet you it has something to do with his childhood. Like either the cabin he lived in was called the Rosebud or something, or like one of his favorite toys was called Rosebud something. I was like, I bet you it's just him longing for his childhood that he might've felt was robbed from him. Um, But then like when I thought that I kind of went away from that, just got back into enjoying the movie so when it came to you know the end where it gets revealed like it's the name of his bobsled I was like I knew it it had something to do with his childhood um but it was still a fun reveal and I I thought it was very clever the way that Orson Welles uh revealed what the word meant because you're watching you that's what you really want to know what does this word mean and at the very end you're just like wait he doesn't figure it out And I'm sitting there like, are they really going to end this movie and not tell us what this word means? And then I thought, well, maybe because they built it up so much, there's no satisfying explanation. So they're just going to end it. But when they showed the people just chucking the stuff in the fire and you see that word on the bobsled, I was like, oh, nobody's ever going to find out. That's kind of depressing, but I guess it's going to be one of the greatest mysteries in that fictional history. Um, but yeah, so overall, I actually really enjoyed the movie. It was fun to watch along with. Um, I am sure back then the makeup was great for making, uh, for making, um, what's his name? King look old. Um, they did a good job of making him look, gain weight over time, but you know, with 4k quality, as you're watching it, you can see that the makeup isn't really that great when you're watching it, like for his uh, bald cap and stuff, you could see the lines and everything. But again, I put my 1941 hat on and I was like, that's great effects. They look really old. And, you know, it took me a while to even figure out that that is just the same young actor they made to look old. So I guess they did a good job. Um, So yeah, so I, I really did enjoy this movie. Whether I'd say it's the greatest movie of all time, I probably wouldn't say that just because of my taste in movies. Um, it might go to some other things that people would laugh at, but um, and I'm not going to go there right now. But um, yeah, it was a really good movie. I really did enjoy it. So uh, that's what I thought. So I'm going to go in the order in which I see everybody on my screen. So up next is Eric. Wow, already. Well, I should say I'm very jealous of you that somehow you managed over the last uh, 80 years, <laughs> although you haven't been alive all those 80 years, but somehow you've managed to never uh, have heard what Rosebud is because people just talk about it all the time. I mean, people- Oh, really? Like the, it was a known spoiler? Like Darth uh, Vader? Oh, yeah. It's like, it's like you know, you know you, nobody even hides it anymore. I, I, I can't remember what show, but I, I definitely know there's at least some episode of some show from a long time ago where somebody just yells, it's his sled. Oh, and, wow. and it's like, it's like, yeah. So <laughs> did, it, anybody it else, been, did anybody else know what Rosebud no, was? No, never heard of that. Oh, you now. didn't know beforehand? Oh, Shelly knew. Okay. Shelly. Okay. Yeah. yeah I mean, obviously I, I knew. I didn't know either. <laughs> not just because of the references, but I knew because um, I saw this a while ago, but uh, I think I must have been, I was probably in my early 20s when I saw it. And I don't know that I really knew enough about film to appreciate it for what it was at the time. So on this watch, I definitely got much more into it. And I was noticing techniques that they were using and, um, and the, you know, the acting and the script uh, and how that all came together uh, to tell the story in a, in a very interesting way. Uh, and I was pretty impressed um, at only, what is it, two hours? It actually felt longer. They pack a lot in. It's very dense. There's so much that's going on. And, uh, and it seems like, I mean, I have seen definitely films from from the era. I'm not 
an, an academic on it though. So I, I, so hopefully I'm not misspeaking, but it, it seems from my memory that I don't recall a lot of movies uh, using camera work like this movie did. Um, or like Fahad mentions, you know, um, the nonlinear storyline. And I, and I think I remember hearing that at the, at the time when that, when the script was written that way, it was considered like it might be a potential problem. Uh, but they went with it anyway, which I think was a smart move because it really, it makes a, a very convoluted story. Uh, and I, so I, I like the way that that aids the, the, one of the messages, which is that how can you ever really know a man or a person? Because uh, he, he gets, you know, conflicting stories from different people who were in his life. Everyone had a different impression of him and what his values were and what his, you know, the character, his character and, uh, and so the, in the end, you're not sure exactly what kind of person he was. Uh, and I guess each person who watches the movie probably comes away with a different impression of him as well, Kane the man. Um, and then, yeah, that, that ending scene when they, uh, so, so unfortunately watching the whole thing, I knew what Rosebud was. And I, so I was just there for the ride of him interviewing people and learning more about this person and, and trying to unravel the man. Uh, but that last scene where they throw the the sled into the fire and we close up on it and we see that it's Rosebud and we realize like it's in the fire now, which means literally no one is ever going to know. It goes to the grave with him. Like that, that's a, that was a very dark ending for me. It's, you know, I, something about like the loss of memory, you know, like, you know, your own personal story. You're really the only person on the planet who's ever going to know. Uh, maybe you could write your memoirs and get some of it written down for, for others to, to understand. But basically you take a lot with you when you die that is just lost forever. And, uh, and it's very sad and very dark, <laughs> uh, but it's a very profound, you know, uh, image for a film. And uh, I'll, I'll come back around and talk about that uh, later, the, the imagery, because I, I, what they did with the camera and, and some of the shots I thought was very, very beautiful. Uh, and definitely made the movie much more interesting than probably movies uh, you've seen or black and white movies you've seen Fahad. I don't know if you've ever gone as far back as 1941, but uh, but I'm sure you've seen black and white movies and felt that they were kind of flat and 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 a little dry. But this definitely had that sensational. Um, I mean, frankly, you could remake that exactly as is now and it would be just as sensational. And and people still make films like this. And that's impressive. I, I think it. It definitely set a standard and, uh, and um, yeah, brought films into a new era. So I'm gonna stop there and you can move on to the next person for now. Great, thank you, Eric. Uh, so next up is Shelly. All right, so um, I um, went at watching it in the same way, thinking like, trying not to compare it to modern movies because I think that that's not fair. Um, so I really, really liked the story of this movie. It reminded me a lot of in kind of the opposite, the characters are completely opposite. And this movie was made at around the same time as Citizen Kane. So every year, Stuart's very favorite movie is It's a Wonderful Life. And it was made in 1946. And it, and it actually, the story of that movie, I'm sure you all know, is kind of does the same thing. It does flashbacks and flash, you know, forward. So obviously the point, the point of that, they're, they're the same message, but like kind of opposite characters and that George Bailey is someone that you want to be like. And then 
Kane is someone that you do not want to be like. Like he has all the money in the world and cannot buy his happiness. And George Bailey doesn't have any money. And he thinks that he's not happy. He thinks that he um, hasn't made all the like positive movements in his life. But anyway, I just couldn't get away from the parallels of those two movies. So those are my first thoughts about it. Great. Thank you, Shelley. Now that Eric stopped sharing, it's a whole different order that I'm seeing on my screen. Thank you for that. Um, I, Ruth, I guess you're next. Okay. Wait, so, let me uh, it over again. Ruth, you're next. All right. My turn. <laughs> cool. All right. So I, yeah, I saw, so I love watching classic movies. This is kind of the same era too, like Shelly was saying with the older ones, but um, it made me think of Casablanca for some reason. I know it's not as obviously exactly the same, but I love the, um, the, gl the glamour and how I don't uh, also how more fancy and things are more people dress up more and stuff like that. But anyways, to kind of get to it. Um, so I watched when I first started watching it, I had to watch some of it again because I, I got a little confused between the <laughs> between the, the back and forth. But I will say, like, um, so I know when it you hear a little bit of the history about him from the news thing. And then um for him as a child, I remember seeing with I had to start it over at the beginning because at first I was still kind of confused about, oh, well, I knew it was a sled, but I was trying to, to go dig deeper into that to see what it was about. So I know he, um, they mentioned to you about him with his parents. And I feel like that was also kind of the last point of his innocence because his mom was really only just interested in the money. And um, he was a real happy kid. And this was before I feel like he got jaded by things. And um you know, he hits the guy um, that I think it's what Mr. Thatcher um, takes him into his, his custody. And then I saw how he gets the sled. He gets a sled for Christmas. So I was wondering, is that like he doesn't know what to get a child for Christmas? Or is that kind of like a backlash to him? Like kind of being like, hey, you know, of how that whole thing went down to try to get back at him. If that makes sense. That scene, yeah, where he's first with Thatcher, you mean? Uh, like the first year he's with Thatcher and the first Christmas? Yeah, yeah. I, th I guess Thatcher was trying to provide him with the childhood that he wanted, but it, it I guess it, it probably felt more like a slap in the face. He was like, "It's this isn't the sled I want. And, and by the way, that's interesting because they kind of foreshadow in the very beginning of the movie what's important to him. Like he's playing on that sled when he's taken away from his home. He's angry at the replacement sled. It's sort of like, you know, if you're, you know, when you're a kid and something's taken away from you and they're like, well, we'll just get you another one. And you're like, I don't want that one. I want the one I had yeah. <laughs> because you have a special relationship and it's not really going to be the same. Well, and also it holds such a significant meaning to him because that was his sled at home before he was yeah. taken away. Um, like you were saying, Ruth, like, I think it's that significance of what that actually means. It's his home, his childhood. Yeah. Um, and then his mom just seemed very... Well, I was talking to my mom actually about it too, about the situation. She said, well, actually at that time it was the mon money was really an issue, but she also, I can understand it was really hard times, but we're also talking about, you know, like, but how we we're both saying like, how could you do that to your child? And she almost seemed like she didn't have any more like feeling towards that. Like, 
motherly feeling or anything like that or any ties or loving for her child anymore because then they said oh well I guess you know it's nearly five you got to get him ready she's like oh it's been his stuff's been packed for weeks and I thought gosh but his dad wanted to keep him though but yeah I wondered about that scene maybe we can talk about it more um later but because that was very confusing to me her her whole attitude she almost she's almost robotic about it and it seemed like she was doing something because she cared about him but it seemed like she didn't really care about doing it for him I don't know yeah. yeah, it was definitely a struggle, though, because, uh, yeah, the father was definitely reacting the way you think a parent would. But then the money kept on just, I guess, popping up like, oh, well, but it's also the justification of he'll have a better life. He'll have all this money, you know, at, at his disposal. He's going to be raised in the best schools and the best place in the big city. So they're trying to justify it all, too. I mean, thankfully, in this situation, giving up the kid isn't giving him up to a horrible life. You know, he's not being turned away into something that's going to make his life worse in their view so i think they were able to justify it a lot more easily like hey we get money he gets a lot of money and what we think will be a better life for him what they didn't take into account is family and love and being with the people you want to be with and the love yeah. you have um they didn't yeah. take him into it, it. Don't, it almost seemed like she was trying to get rid of him at one point and i i almost thought like is this is this like a bad seed situation where he's kind of like a terror that's going to grow into a horrible person and she just wants to get rid of him, you know, but, uh, but then they do make, I don't know if you caught it, but she makes a comment. I'm surprised they didn't play on this more. Maybe it didn't seem appropriate for movies at the time, but, but she makes a comment that the father might be abusive and that, cause he says, you know, back in my day, we would have taken a switch to anyone who talked like that. And, and she says, and that's why we're sending him away. So you can't get your, you know, so you can't affect him or something. And I was like, Oh, well, so maybe she is like, she's just trying to, she's, she looks blank because they live in an abusive household and she just wants to get the kid out of it. And this is his one chance. Yeah. I was trying to figure that out too, because the father didn't show a whole lot of signs of it. No, he didn't. I was like, well, it could have been, yeah, that she was like basically gone numb from how he was to them. Or, he definitely seemed money hungry, but he didn't seem necessarily violent, but. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it, Maybe they just didn't yeah, play into that more about to see um, how it was going to be. Um, and then I know, like, basically Thatcher wanted him, what, for uh, him to take over his company. And when he was in his 20s, he's like, no, I don't want to do that. This is what I want to do. So it's almost kind of like he has him and then dreams, I guess, for how you have a child or someone you want to have if you don't have a boy for your le- like legacy or to carry on, you know. Yeah. But they didn't. That didn't happen. And kind of also where he... Kind of more, he seemed like more happier or more fun um, when he was first starting the paper and he was more for like all the people, even if um, there are more people like more in financial issues. And then as he gets, he was like for the people and as he gets older, he kind of gets jaded from that or he gets too much into being, I guess, more in the richer life because he gains power. And then to me, he was a lot nicer than to me. He's just got, ends up getting really controlling and just, you know, stuff like that. But I don't know if I should go too much into it, but I mean, we can go so, back around, but we yeah. should go to our final person. Yeah. Let's, let's move yeah. on over to Takia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I like this movie. At first I was thinking, well, I'm going to tell you my thoughts here. I like the idea of the whole rise and fall rise and fall of someone they're there's a the top of the peak of their game in terms of like their wealth and fortune and 
um, notoriety, and then like Kane did, he he then he fell because of the scandal and all that stuff with the um yeah with his um base was that I wrote that down here um he got caught I think in a an um affair and then um that kind of messed him up with his chances for governor and stuff like that I don't know that was the only thing but um it's one of the, one of the main things there and um let's see I like the idea of you know being rich. And people think that you have material things that, that makes you rich and happy and wealthy. In reality, um, love, compassion, um, friendship, relationship, things like that are what make you rich. And he didn't, he, could, he didn't really know how to handle those things because um, he was taken away you know, from his family at such an early age. And then and all he knew was like, it was a high powerful life. Um, yeah, so that's why he ended up with none of his relationships or his wives worked out because you know, he he like he liked them being needing him not putting the love and affection that he needed for it that, that, that that's you know required for it for, for human beings okay so that's my take on it so um and i like i, I like to get into um said some, there are a lot of good quotes oh there's nothing like the movie too a lot of good quotes that were from um like for example um that you mentions what would you have Liked, he asked Kane at one point, what would he have liked to have been? And he says, everything you hate. So unlike other movies, this one was really full of good, uh, thought-provoking quotes that obviously happened to these characters, especially Kane in this movie. So yeah, that's my take on it. <laughs> so I'd like to delve more into that. Oh, also like, I always like the idea of the, of the rosebud, how that would have turned out. I thought it, at first it was going to be a, um, the, the snow globe. I thought it was going to be a rose in there or something like that. And then, um, then at the end, oh, that was, that's really creative how that turned out to be. A loss of childhood, a loss of, the, 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 the sled was like the last uh, moment of joy he had before he went into all this, you know, yeah. rich churches. Carefree, carefree life. Yeah, yeah. And we find out all that's not, you know, that doesn't, that can make you quite miserable. I, think, I want to quit, mention one more thing. I know, um, about being lonely, where do you put that? Oh, I didn't write it down. Wait a minute. Oh, I know too many people. I guess we are both lonely. I'm just talking to Susan Kane, and um, I like that quote. Um, but like I said, we can discuss some more of some of those quotes when um, I'll ask you guys' opinions about those in a bit. So actually, yeah. that that quote's kind of funny. It reminds me of that quote you hate, Eric, from that movie with um, Tom Holland. Um, that new movie that's coming out based off of that video game. I can't remember what it's called. Um, but it's basically, he's like talking to this woman. She's like, oh, you know, he doesn't have many friends. He doesn't have any friends. I should know oh. I'm one of them. Oh. Yeah, well, that, that line means nothing. <laughs> it means nothing. It's, I'm sorry. No. Um, to, I'm just saying it's, it's in the to same name. <laughs> to, Takiya, to Takiya's point, um, films were much wittier in the 30s and 40s. Yes, the, they were. The, there, there were like, if you watch films from that era, good ones anyway um yeah the some of the lines it's just so creative the it's the very biting sort of uh repartee between characters it's very entertaining to watch and very smart and there was there was plenty of that in this movie. and they spoke a lot faster yes it's like aaron sorkin uh, I mean, wrote everything like to ruth's point to ruth's point um i felt the same way in the beginning where they're showing you the newsreel and they're talking i'm like I'm finding this kind of hard to follow. <laughs> I had to put I had to put on the um uh, the what you call the closed captions. The yeah, captions. 
I think that proves that we have lost um, our uh, attention span a bit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think back then it was a lot easier for people to, to really focus on something and, and, and follow all the beats. And now we just, we're like, when it's moving that fast, we're like, we glaze over and we're like, oh, I don't know. And then our minds drift and we're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've missed a lot. Yeah. And, we, and we've also, I also lost that like, way of talking and just like how everybody sounded like they were, you know, old school New York reporter or something, that way of talking that a lot of them in this movie did. I'm like, whatever happened to that? I like that. Style, that way of talking, <laughs> that accent, whatever you want to call it. Like nobody talks like that. Well, did you watch I want, Ryan? I want to finish. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was going to just on that point. Did you watch Ryan Murphy's Hollywood on Netflix? Mm-mm. No. There's a scene where um, on the studio lot, there's an actual a classroom for rising stars, and uh, the the woman who um, is teaching it is teaching them diction. She's teaching them how to speak for the movies, and she talks. She makes this comment. She said. She says. Uh, she calls it the mid Atlantic accent, and she and she's asked the class, "Where is the mid Atlantic?" And they're like, "In the middle of the ocean." She's like, "That's right. It doesn't exist. <laughs> Nobody talks this way, but this is how you talk in films if you want to be a good actor." And so, I mean, I don't know how true that is, but um, basically the implication is that no one really talked like that back then, but if you wanted to be in movies, this was the way that you pronounced words and stuff so that it, you sounded more like a, you know, an you know, iconic actor. Or like a, a star. Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed kind of like, and I think Ruth, you were getting at this too, like old Hollywood style, that glitz and glam. Um, getting to see some of that, especially with like when they go to the showing you like the opera and everything. Um, but what I did enjoy with this movie, though, is, is that as you're watching it, there are so many things that you think Rosebud could pertain to, could be about like, oh, is it about, his, you know, the son that he lost in a tragic car accident is it, or, you know, his ex-wife. But at that point, he was cheating on her. They were divorced. But, you know, or is it the second wife and the relationship he lost from, you know, with her and. You know, especially with the second wife, because when he dies, you know, he drops the snow globe out of his hand and says, Rosebud. And then when we see after their big fight and she leaves him, he's looking at the snow globe um, and, you know, says Rosebud. So it's like, oh, is there some kind of connection? Like, is it because of her and something with them? But um, so there's so many different moments throughout the, the life that we get to see of his where you're like, oh, could it be about this or about this? But what's kind of nice with the movie, though, is that in the movie and the story and just watching his life was so interesting, even without the Rosebud mystery. The Rosebud mystery just brings you more into the movie to try to feel like you're investigating it along with the reporter. So that was pretty fun. It was a good story fun to watch his life, but also you got to play along. So it was interactive. Yeah. I wanted to finish my thought. <laughs> Go ahead. It wasn't much that I would say I like the 1940s. Uh, the whole life back then. Not to necessarily live in it, but I, I enjoyed looking at, at the past. That's really cool. Yeah. I like looking at films with, with it with different decades from 1900s up to the 90s. Kind of cool to see how things were back then. Like when you, when you guys had already mentioned the clothing, the cars, people, and how, how things were run. But you know, you'll, when you just even go into the grocery store or just hang out at home, you were dressed up. How, how about the literal gaslight inside the building that he like turns down? And it's like, there's a fire on the wall. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why oh. is this normal? <laughs> and everybody smokes, so that's extra dangerous. <laughs> extra flammable. Speaking of fire, the fireplace in his mega Xanadu oh, mansion. 
You can burn this whole house in. People inside of it. Yeah. I was like, that is a huge fire. Those are huge logs. Who keeps this fire going? I didn't even realize it was a fireplace at first until he started walking in front of it and he was like warming himself. And I'm like, oh my God, that's a fire. (laughs) I can't believe that's a fire. And then that, I was just going to say that was impressive, but the opposite part of that is the depressingness of where his seat was and then where the couch was that she was sitting on and how far apart they were in the room. It's a huge room. And I'm like, do they have to get used to just shouting as normal speaking in that house? Because that one room, they were so far apart from each other. They had to shout to hear one another. Social distancing. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that should be what we call divorce or, you know, estrangement in marriage from now on. It's social yeah. distancing. I just don't want to be near him. Kia? And I would say, um, how you guys think it's kind of weird how uh, so, someone with all that money would want to live a huge it's like this past the pals almost like a castle by themselves like this i don't know how to explain it. like it's um i don't know not well, weird like, but like, it's exactly it. what you just said though it's like a castle because he feels like he's like a king you know and he well also i think i think they make a comment in the movie somewhere around two-thirds through uh, after his scandals and his the loss of the gunner governorship oh my god i couldn't say that word governorship Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and all that jazz, they made a comment that he seemed to start building that at that point because he had tried to become king of the world, but the world didn't want him to be king. So he decided to make his own empire gated away, like oh, this grand yeah. thing that he could be absolutely in control of and no one could say any different. It's just like it, all that spacing is just like you and your wife. I don't know. It's just well, and you have all the people that are working there. Too. People that are working there. Yeah, yeah. Just all, all the service. One, two people became one person. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Somebody seems so overly advocate. Like, like that's well, it goes to real it, life. Yeah. Well, it also like, goes to your quote that you read. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if they meant to do this, but you know how the movie opens uh, with those shots of Xanadu. Um, if if you notice it, uh, it actually overlays each of the shots in the very beginning with the you know there's like a there's a, a fencing and then the you know the wrought iron gates basically it keeps showing you images of cages and i think it's basically uh, trying to say like this looks like a grand place but this became his prison okay yeah. and prison for his wife too for sure yeah. both yeah. everyone trapped there including all those poor animals <laughs> um, i really I thought- Michael Jackson's Neverland Ranch. That's what yeah, they were thinking. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> well, did he kind of do the same thing? Michael Jackson wanted a place to sort of disappear to that he could true, just yeah. have, you know, everything he wanted that yeah. he couldn't give him. Um, That's yeah. similar, yeah. I but, really enjoyed and also felt sorry for his second wife. Um, the, oh, yeah. the character herself, I really liked a lot. Um, I don't think she was like a bad person. Um, I think really, in a, I think her life just took an unfortunate turn the moment that she met him. Yeah. Um, because I don't, yes, she, she's saying, but I don't know if it was really her dream and her drive to become this big opera singer. Um, I think he really. Her mom's dream. Like my mom. Yeah, exactly. It was her mom's dream. And then it became his dream to make her dream come true. Not realizing it really wasn't her dream. But then she was doing it to please him. And then he was also filling her head probably with thoughts of like, you're this amazing opera singer. Um, and I guess I don't know opera well enough, but I didn't think she was that bad. I thought she, I was going to ask everyone. I thought she sounded good. Yeah. I thought it was yeah. Cool. And I was going to ask, like, do you, do you think that she actually was okay? And that people were just being so hateful because of her notoriety? 
because you know how you can do that. People do that sometimes. They're like, just because you are somebody or associated with somebody, we're going to troll everything you do anyway, even if it's not that bad. No, I think she was meant to be. Sorry. No, I was just saying, starting with the guy who was trying to teach her to sing, he clearly thought she was awful. Yeah. Yeah. I was about to say, they showed people's actual reactions, like the teacher, but then also the opening night when they panned all the way up to the, um, the area where the people who are pulling all the strings and you saw their faces, exactly their expressions, like she's a stinker, you know, like, so. I don't think I, she was. Yeah, it was, you know. Was not um, but it is fun. Oh, I was just saying, it's fun to see that this was the dawn of fake news in a way. Did, yeah. yeah, did you notice that all those papers that go by when she's doing her opera tour, it's only his paper and they yeah. say, they all say amazing things in the headlines. I think that's probably because none of the other papers said anything nice. No. <laughs> Well, but, uh, when um, his his best friend started to write badly, yeah, and then yeah, but, out, took it over. I I really liked when he sent his friend the, the the check, and it was sent back to him ripped up, along with a copy of the the principles of what the, the newspaper, you know, like that they're gonna write the truth no matter, like all this stuff, and it's like you're completely going against what you originally set out to do. Yeah. Can we turn the discussion to that? What I'm curious about is what you all thought of Charles Foster King, the man at the end of the movie, because I, I, so I watched the whole movie and then when it ended, it went back to the, the, uh, the landing screen on the streaming service we watched it on. And, and I saw the synopsis, which said a reporter gets conflicting stories about a man's life after his death. And I thought to myself conflicting. And then I started thinking about, it, I was like, well, like, I guess that's kind of true. There were there were some things in the movie that, that bothered me that seemed disconnected. And uh, and maybe it's because the different people that were being interviewed all had a different way of looking at Kane. And so, for instance, you know, there's one at one point somebody says that he's a communist. But then we know for a fact that he was like a, an obscene capitalist. I mean, <laughs> and then you have uh, you have that moment at the beginning where he says, I want my paper to bring the truth to the people. But then you have all these instances where he's willing to like fudge headlines just to get circulation and so it seems like depending on who you ask he was a really good person or a really bad person well and then he's what everyone else decided then he smacks his wife i saw there's a synopsis thing when i was i was watching it from amazon and from the amazon thing and rented it well they shared like this little thing on the side it said something like um one of the like goofs or blooper things is that like he never actually hit her. She had already turned her head before he even got like real close to doing it, which I thought was kind of funny. <laughs> um, That's but- nice of him. A lot of directors like him that have that like bigger than Orson Welles has that bigger than life personality. They yeah. often like expect the, you know, they would expect, I would imagine they would expect the woman to actually get hit. It's like, no, no, I need to actually slap because you need to feel the pain so that it will come up on screen. So it's nice that he would let her turn her head before he hit her. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, for sure. Um, so to your question, Eric, about like our thoughts on him, Charles Foster Kane as a man, like his character and stuff. Um, I felt throughout a good amount of the movie, I actually really liked him. I was like, he seems like a good person. He wants to tell the truth. But then there were those moments, like you said, where it's like, well, he's kind of fudging things a little bit there. But it's like, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to give him a pass and all. Um, And, you know, like the stuff he was doing for his second wife, he was doing it out of love. Like he really liked her. He really wanted her to succeed. But then it's like, he was willing to tell lies to keep her 
celebrity rising and to keep her going. Um, so it was really kind of building this delusional kind of world for her, which isn't really cool either. Uh, and it messes with her feelings when she reads the other papers and sees what they really think about her, where he read the article, the article that his best friend started writing and he finished. It's like, what's going on? I didn't think I was that bad. And it messes with her head. And then at the end where he slaps her, I was like, okay, maybe he's not as good of a guy, but it's hard to, it's hard to say like who he was because we did get to see his life. But each part of his life, we got to learn from a different person telling us that part. His yeah. best friend, his ex-best friend, his ex-wife, the man who worked for him uh, until the day he died. You know, like different people have different thoughts on how he is. So I think that's a really good storytelling mechanism, too, is that he did really show you this story of this man's life. But actually, it's not one story told by one person, which is oftentimes what you see in movies. This was a story pieced together about this guy's life from different people's accounts. Mm -hmm. And it kind of leaves it up to you to be like, okay, who do you think this man is? Will we but ever know be, who the real man is? Sorry, Shelly. How, like, in, for anybody, if if you think about, like, oh. you're trying to figure out someone, like, who someone really is, if you talk to their wife, you're going to get one story, their ex-wife, another story, their, um, you know, best friend, business, you know, people. No, definitely. But what, do you think he loved his first wife? Do you think that, or do you think he wanted her because she was the president's niece? For like, do you think status? It was just or... like a status thing? Like I'm this, you know, it's, I am. Yeah. It's, I'm going to marry her. Because she seemed to, when they go through that whole like progression of showing that he's not spending any time with her. Like she seemed to want to be with him. She she may have been the person who she saw him changing from the person he was in the beginning to the person he eventually became and she didn't like it. So I think he, he did want to be with her, but not enough to, to change himself to be with her. It all seemed to revolve around him. So no matter how much it hurt anyone else, it, it had to be his way. And the way he just lets her go when they, you know, when they meet, when they have that whole, like, um, you, you know, what is, what was the second wife's name? Susan Alexander. Susan, that's right. Alexander, right? Susan Alexander. So when they go into that meeting with her. Um, At her apartment with uh, yes. the with current governor, I guess. Yeah. He just lets his first wife go. He's like, no, I'm just going to stay here. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he, it looks like he really did have real feelings for Susan and not for, was it Mary? Well, no. maybe, oh, he wanted, maybe he wanted the ingenue who was naive enough to let him get away with stuff. Or maybe she reminded him of that childhood he kept chasing. Well, she was, yeah. was very young. She was only 22. How old was he supposed to be at that point? Oh, boy. <laughs> Oh, in his fifties, probably. Well, he, he already had like a little bit of he had a mustache. Maybe a little younger, maybe like forties. Like forties. Early forties, maybe. The mustache. I meant like right here. Because <laughs> he was twenty-five, right when he got the paper. Because oh. that was a. Uh, I think that's another reason he was so excited about the paper in the beginning. Is because if you remember, twenty-five is when he finally got control of his trust, which means that was like basically the first decision he could make himself. And he was ready to tell the world what, what, what he really wanted to do instead of other people like Thatcher telling him what he was supposed to do. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you mentioned earlier 
the sea kind of invented fake news. Yeah. Oh, but I don't know if you guys know, but this is this was loosely based on uh, the actual newspaper magnet, magnet uh, William Randolph Hearst, uh, who did run his paper that way. It was, I guess what they called yellow journalism, which was very sensational. So not so much concerned with the truth as much as how much it would thrill people and get people yeah. to buy papers. I think I had read that he was mad about the movie and his publication did not review it or, or they wrote skating. They did something like against the movie. I'm sure. Um, also, also <laughs> yeah. the movie was not really that well received when it originally came out at all. I think it actually kind of lost the studio money until like some yeah. French group or something started praising it. And that's where it really started gaining traction. Um, it, with it, it's a wonderful life when it came out, like it didn't, it wasn't popular. And then later on, it was. Another um, interesting fact about this movie is, you know, like we've talked about earlier, it's considered the greatest movie of all time. It even, it, it, at one point, it did have a 100% rating on uh, rotting, Rotten Tomatoes until oh. recently, where it got bumped down to 99% because of a review they found from 80 years ago that was a what? negative review. What? That one review weighted one. and brought it down to 99%. Oh my wow. gosh. So 80 years ago, like at the time it was released? Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have to look down at Do my the math. <laughs> wow. So uh, I think when you announced this movie, I mentioned the movie Mank. I asked if everyone had seen it, which came out last year and was nominated for Best Picture. Mank is about Herman Mankiewicz. Maybe you saw his name in the credits. He yeah. wrote the screenplay for Citizen Kane. He's co-credited with Orson Welles, but as the movie Mank shows you, uh, Mank is played by Gary Oldman. He was asked to write a screenplay by Orson Welles, but told that the that it would get made, but only if, it, it, like, written in the contract was that Herman Mankiewicz wouldn't get any credit for it. But by the time Herman Mankiewicz finished the script, he was so impressed with what he had done, considered it the best script he'd ever written, that he demanded that he get credit anyway. So Orson Welles had to begrudgingly put his name in the credits there because I think Orson just wanted to say that he wrote it, which is, <laughs> you know, not great. Um, but the, so the, the mo that movie goes into detail about the, the sort of history of how the screenplay came about because, and about how Herman Mankiewicz was friends with William Randolph Hearst and, uh, and uh, Marianne Davis, who was an actress at the time, and that's who Susan Alexander is based on. And so, yeah, he was very angry when this movie came back because it's basically about him, about the type of journalism he decided to do, about how he lived his life and the people he hurt. <clears throat> so it's very, it was very, it's a very interesting movie to watch if you wanna watch something to follow this up. And, and Amanda Seyfried plays the Marianne Davis character, so. Ooh. Hmm can't go wrong she does a really good job too i think she was nominated for oscar best supporting actress maybe and what you say the movie was called mank mank yeah directed by david fincher we saw 1997's the game oh yeah oh there's another fun fact apparently the script for mank was already written in 1997 and david fincher had planned to film it right after he finished the game but uh because of other circumstances it didn't happen so he didn't make it until last year Oh wow! Hmm. That's a pretty impressive cast: uh, Amanda Seyfried, Gary Oldman, Lily Collins, Charles Dance. I think plays isn't that who plays William Randolph Hearst? It is. Yes. Yeah. Very good. Hmm. That is 
But yeah, did you um, did you notice? Speaking of fake news, when he loses the governor race, did you notice the the uh, headline of the Inquirer that they were they chose to run the next day? No, what was it? It says fraud at the polls. <laughs> Because, because he lost, he decided the paper was going to claim that the election was fraud. <laughs> and I was like, wow, this, this all still holds up today. Yeah. Gosh. <laughs> okay, guys, why do I keep uh, killing conversations? <laughs> <laughs> you, give us, you give us such profound things or statements that we're now having to think about it. Fuck probably. you. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> It's actually partially true because you drop these things and like, oh. <laughs> huh. Um, think that. Back to his childhood. Uh, what exactly happened? I, remember, I, I know I feel super silly. Not I know what happened, but like what they came into money, but they couldn't so they couldn't take care of him. Can someone like, briefly explain that? I don't I, no, I, mean, I never understand that, but I feel silly. Uh, uh well their land was built on that uh was it oil? Copper. Yeah. It was a gold mine. Okay. A literal gold. I thought it was copper for some reason. Anyway, yeah. uh, built on the mine. So I guess that meant. Wouldn't they be rich? But I don't know why the boy gets that. Oh, maybe uh, because but, I think that wasn't the boy's biological father, right? What? No. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm cheating. Uh-huh. So basically, according to Wikipedia, in 1871, gold was discovered through a mining deed belonging to Kane's mother. Mary came. Oh, so, so she owned the, the mom. Yes. So he, the father did not, the mom did. She hired Thatcher to establish a trust that would provide for Kane's education and to assume guardianship of him. Okay. But, wait, wait, wait. So she, she, so they, she, she did it for him to have a better life. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All this copper and stuff. Wouldn't she be rich? Wouldn't they, the family be rich? They, they, they get money too. He said you get this much money every, like, was it a year? Like, yeah, a thousand dollars. Why couldn't it, it was a thousand dollars a month? Yeah. Okay, what can they take care of their child then if they're going to get the money too? I think they wanted him to be raised in a, if he was going to be one of the richest people in the world eventually, they wanted him to learn how to be one of the richest people in the world, was basically what I interpreted from it. So she wanted him to get the best education, to be shown the world, you know, to figure that out herself with the life that they live. What I don't understand is, and this is why I was wondering, was that not his biological father? Is uh, especially at the time that this happened, 1871, how did the woman own the deed to the mine? Because it would have been with her husband, right? Yeah. yeah so that's know. why I'm wondering if it was with her original husband, his father, that yeah. she, then she inherited because she was just his surviving wife and then she married this guy. But I'm not sure now, like, was that his stepfather or what? Could be, although he seemed very, I mean, before the money started really speaking to him, he didn't seem cool with letting the son go. Yeah. That's because he but, thought he would be was. That's because he thought he would be letting the money go, and then as the lawyer says, "Oh, you get this stipend of a thousand dollars." He was like, "Oh, well, all right, that's fine." <laughs> well, why did the yeah. family get rich and be able to raise their son? Why didn't they get rich? The family, like his mom and dad, if, she, if they found this copper that she that she owned gold, gold. I'm sorry, gold, gold. Um, <laughs> so you get gold. She she could get things too and be able to raise their son and put him in the nice things and stuff like that too. I just yeah. feel like I'm. No, the, the they, they, did, they didn't flat out explain the arrangement or the reason why. So you're weird. not missing it. You're not missing anything. I thought something <laughs> like the only way they would get the money would be if they gave the son away. Gave them, them ownership towards the was it the bank or something or to some other person? Is that the only way that they're able to get 
the money while he was in custody of whoever yeah, like, maybe, maybe, like it, maybe it is maybe it is the patrilineal problem where she owns the deed because she's the mother but she has a son which means technically it belongs to him yeah. but 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 it's put into a trust until he's old enough for it and they get an allowance but she still gets an allowance yeah <laughs> so that's not enough to take that care sucks. of her son. It's not enough to take care of her son, basically. It's not, I mean... Well, like I said, she wanted him to have a better life. Okay, all right. Uh, And and they imply that the the father might be abusive, so I guess she wanted him out of that situation. So anyway, getting back to the movie, I didn't... He said thrashing. I thought it was just old old school spanking. Like, just, you know, spank your bottom. And, like, the mom, I guess, didn't like that or whatever. But I didn't get it. It was abuse, so... That's why I, I was confused about it. It didn't sound, but, but it could be abusive. I, I don't know. It was interesting. Eric, you, you said that you, it, it um, maybe she's he's coming from an abusive situation, but I just I don't know. Because they know. because they imply it. He makes a comment yeah, about about yeah. hurting the kid if he made certain comments, and she said, and that's why we're sending him away. So yeah, it seems weird. to imply that maybe worse things are possible and have happened, and she Thank doesn't you. want him to be around the kid. Yeah, gold, old school people say flashing too, but it doesn't mean like child abuse. But okay. But but you're Sorry. right. Like they leave it open to interpretation, and I'm sure yeah. 1941 audiences were like, I know exactly what's happening here because we know the rules of families. But you know, later we're like, what exactly is the problem? Yeah. <laughs> Eighty years later, it's a little harder to interpret. <laughs> I just got the. For me, I was just like, well, to me, it seemed like. You couldn't tell if she had been like completely numb from the whole situation where like, you know, that it had been like, maybe he was very abusive, like bad natured person, but it didn't come to me clear about what realm it was in. That's kind of how I interpreted it. Kind of, yeah, like kind of open to interpretation to kind of be like, well, where could this go? Kind of thing like that. Yeah, I'm a little surprised that if, if if that was the case, that they didn't just go ahead and make it really clear. They really yeah. made it subtle. Yeah, they kind of just left it up in the air. Although, you know, she didn't seem to have a problem talking back to him because she he kept going on about like, we can't let the kid go. And why can't, you know, what about the money? And she kept, you know, she said like more than once, stop with that nonsense. Stop with that nonsense. And I was like, well, okay, that's a little haughty. <laughs> she doesn't mind talking to him that way. The way she delivered her lines, she just seems so scary. By the like, way, do you do you know who that is? Oh no, I was gonna go there, Eric. I was gonna say that. <laughs> Takia knows who that is. Did anyone else figure out recognize who that was? I was just about to say my next thing I was about to say, my next comment. No. Stop cheating, Fahad. I see your eyes. No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm just looking up her. I'm looking at her name and no, I don't know who she How is. How do you do that, Eric? You don't know her name. Agnes Moorhead. You don't know yeah. that name? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't, no, I don't mean to say that, but I thought everyone knew that. Bewitched. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That's Andorra. Andorra. Aunt Andorra. We read each other's minds somehow, Eric. That was weird. That was, that was the next thing I was about to say. I was like, oh, fun fact. Then we had very similar childhoods to Kia. <laughs> Bewitched was a big part of my childhood. <laughs> well, I guess it, this was her first role. Because yeah, oh yeah, I really love love that part of the movie, the end credits where they I actually said, "Yeah, I like." I love that, that too. Yeah, person, their moment to shine. Yeah. In fact, I, I was like, "Is that true?" And I, I went and looked them up, and I was like, "Wow." I didn't know it was her time. They did that. I was like, "What?" <laughs> yeah. That's cool. very cool. 
You can barely recognize her because I'm used to seeing her on Bewitched, where she's a little yeah. bit older and a little more dangerous. So this sort of like blank-faced prairie woman, I was like, I, yeah. I think first it didn't or hit. old school 1600s Salem witch. She kind of gave <laughs> up. She gave up that vibe. So it's kind of funny that she later played an actual witch. Because <laughs> the way her hands flicked back and just the look on her, like, yeah, I was getting kind of scared. <laughs> <laughs> like who are you even looking at? There's nobody there. <laughs> it was very cold, very like just, just yes. like, kid or like what's going on? I mean, she was probably looking at her kid outside the window, but yeah. still. <laughs> still, her whole demeanor was just like, yeah, I'm giving, I'm giving my child, and and this is what's going to happen. He's been bags been packed for weeks. Okay. Have you no, guys seen that episode of the original Twilight Zone about the kid who sends people into the cornfield to? Oh get yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, when she looks out the window at her at little Chucky Kane playing in the snow, the, the just that face that she's making looking at the window, it looks like he's the cornfield kid and she's terrified <laughs> of him and she just wants to get him <laughs> off of her land. So I, that's why I thought like the bad seed thing. I was like, is he like a like mini serial killer and she just needs to get rid of him? I just don't understand why she's so void of emotion. I don't get that. <laughs> well, she wasn't the only character that kind of scared me a little bit. The <laughs> other one was the lady in charge of um, Thatcher's oh, archives. Oh, yeah. The library. Yeah. Lightning too. <laughs> it's like, geez, what are you running there? She's, yeah, and that place looked like a mausoleum or something. I don't know. There's there's one gigantic room with just a little safe where he keeps his journals. I was like, this is yeah. this is like a, it looked like scene from Scrooge, the Bill Murray movie. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is bizarre. It they was... play a lot of that big, huge room with people facing you, and you're you know you're up against these people talking to you. And um, and Twilight Zone. If you guys know, is anyone black and white? Twilight Zone fan, though. I think I watched all of Twilight Zone at one point. I haven't seen that a lot. That, that whole thing of a big room they walk into is just a, that's a major like theme. Like, so yeah, the, the isolation that you feel. It, I mean, it makes you feel lonely, right? Look at all these giant rooms these rich people live in. Like, yeah. how lonely. <laughs> yeah. I have to say, the sets uh, were pretty incredible in this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, the place that he lives in, I could tell that it was built on a studio lot. No but uh, but like the fireplace and, and all those mirrors and stuff in his home and the staircase I was like, wow, this is I mean, it must have cost a lot of money. I, I say a million dollars, which today is one billion dollars. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, well, and actually on that note with the set pieces and stuff, the end scene where it's going through all of the items he's collected were obviously miniatures. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but oh, the fact yeah. that somebody had to go and set up all those miniatures like, yeah. I was like, that would have taken a long time. Yeah. It is still beautiful. Yeah. yeah. It's very impressive. It's just so it looked, expansive. Yeah. Like New York City, the way that was set up, it looked like a whole It city. did look like a little city at first. Yeah. And it's like, oh, these are all the items in there. I'm it sure the answer like the, no, but Fahad watched Warehouse 13, right? Yeah. It makes me think of Warehouse yeah. 13. <laughs> oh, see, that's not where I went. I went to the Room of Requirement in the Harry Potter movie. Oh, <laughs> you know, in the in the set in the eighth movie, uh, book seven, part two movie, where um, Harry goes to look for the lost diadem of um, Huffle, no Ravenclaw, Rowena Ravenclaw, and it's hidden in the room of requirement. But at that point, it's like just a big storage room with all these items in there. So that's what this looked like. I'm like, oh, I'm just going through the the room of requirement right now. Uh-huh. You know what it made me think of that entire last shot where we finally close in on the. Um, 
on the on the sled and there's that voiceover i think while it's happening it's it's like the end of raiders of the lost ark where they're like well what happened to the ark of the covenant he's like it's being it's being evaluated by top men and then they do that big pan into that giant warehouse full of boxes and they go through the aisle until it gets to just the one box where it's being kept and no one will ever see it again and i was like oh my god i wonder if raiders actually was inspired by this scene to do a similar shot it was almost not, it wasn't like a scary moment, but the way they panned over to show the sled burning and the big revelation gave off like the the twist in a scary movie kind of a vibe. Like that moment where for some reason I got like shining vibes just watching that one moment of the sled on fire and the words rosebud. And I'm like, oh. It, it gives you chills a little bit. An ominous feeling like, yeah. Yeah, because it's so depressing that your whole life like it just it seems like so meaningless you know it's all your things and people are just throwing it away and they don't know that that's what meant so much to him yeah it's very scary let's talk about his collection because one point i wanted to make was about um they talked several times during the movie about his his obsession with collecting statues yeah i immediately thought of myself in my marvel legends collection i was like (laughs) huh I have a collection of statues in there. I know what this guy is thinking, except my statues don't cost millions of dollars and are ridiculously crazy logistics to get them over here. I just, you know, buy on Amazon and get them shipped, you know, <laughs> or go to Target and purchase it. But I get, I get the, the understand. I understand him. I, I understand when there's something you like to collect and you want to keep on collecting them. So I don't well, knock him for that. I wonder if you've looked more deeply, Fahad, at your your obsession with collecting them because I have an opinion about Charles Foster Kane's obsession with it. And just wondering though, first, if anyone else had an opinion about it. My opinion is it's fine. Uh, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I think he, you know, that that was kind of all he knew for happiness you know i have money i'm just going to just buy stuff buy stuff i wonder how much of that was meaningful and how much of it wasn't maybe just just white because he had money to burn type thing you know and it it got to be just like just stuff like what what me- meant something to him what didn't mean something to him in that all that stuff you know that's Ooh, a good this- point because they um they say what did it in the middle of it? They're talking about, oh, like when he's lost a lot of his fortune, I think it was because of the, dep- the depression, but they don't put no. too fine a point on it. So he's signing some papers with Thatcher and he says something about, uh, Thatcher says something about like, you never knew how to, you never knew what to do with money or something. And, and King says, yeah, spend it. And uh, so yep. I think his point was like, it, maybe the interpretation is he never really cared about money. So he just kept spending it. That's what I mean. Yeah. Because he actually cared about other things, but never got them. Well, I was, yeah, is exactly what, what I was going with that. Yeah. Like, and I think, I think the movie supports mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, was, I was just saying, it's just something for him to do that he feels gives his life meaning. It's this thing that he likes getting and collecting. Like for me, what I'll say is once you start, it's hard to stop. You know, you like to collect these things and then all of a sudden it's like you want to keep on collecting the sad part of it, though, is you can never give that you can never give one piece in the collection the attention it deserves. So it's kind of like, why are you even continuing to collect these things? Because you've got them, but you don't sit and appreciate any one of them. It's just this whole thing. So is, this, is this his Pokemon Go? He's got to get to collect them all everywhere he goes. Statue. Statue. That's what, what about that? What, what is what, what people, it's like? Yeah, I think he realizes 
after he got mad and, and, he, and um, after his wife left and started throwing things, he realized, wow, I think I do want some love and companionship in my life. This is actually what, what was more important all along. I think he kind of realized, had that realization. And that's why he started like, like, oh crap, what have I done? He I, also, he clearly, he clearly had hoped in that moment. He, I think it made it clear that he had hoped that buying her all those things would keep her with him. But yeah. she left anyway. And he's like, ah, you know, I went through all this trouble to try to give you everything you could possibly want. And you're still leaving me. Um, but she, <laughs> but she didn't want things either. She wanted like yeah. real human being. To yeah, exactly. Oftentimes a lot of people who are in that kind of situation don't realize that, that the people don't want you to buy them things. They're not looking for the things they're looking yeah. for you. They're looking right. for the love and companionship. They just want you. They don't want all that other stuff. Um, but a lot of times people feel like, oh, I've, in order to keep her, in order to keep him, I have to get uh -oh. all these things for them. Yeah. Not realizing that they most often than not don't need that. Don't want that. <laughs> she, has some, she has some great lines, like uh, uh, where, where she's telling him, um, you've never, you've given, you've tried, you think you've given me everything, but you've never actually given me anything that matters to you. Like he's never given anything of himself to her because that would be really important in a relationship. He's just giving her things. And she's like, I want you to sacrifice something to me to prove that, that I matter that much to you. Anyway, she said to that all, all throughout the movie, but he's yeah, he didn't listen until she left. And then it, it took her leaving to realize that even By the way, thing, how he wanted to like, uh, that, why he wanted to keep her around, keep her in, why he wanted her to stay and all. Then he said that one thing that she was like, oh, that's, so that's how you feel. This, you just want me. No, no. Oh, you, I want, what was that line he said? And that was it for her after she just went, went up oh, the door. She was, that, I was going to say that's that last line she yes. sends, says to him. I was so impressed with her. She, uh, he said, you can't do this to me. And she's like, oh, yes, it, you, it's it. you that this is being done to, huh? That's, that's well, guess what? what? I can do this. <laughs> and she walked, and I was like, oh, wow. That, I was so proud of her. That was that so was, ballsy. That's, <laughs> that's, the, that's the kind of moment we all want to leave a relationship on, right? <laughs> Yeah, it was a well, bad especially in the 1940s. I mean, yeah, to leave a husband, you know, it's it's gonna, you know, obviously her life didn't wasn't yeah, that great afterwards. That. Didn't do that back then, yeah. Um, I'm surprised she didn't get some sort of you know settlement and a divorce to give her a better life. But anyway, yeah. I want to go back to the I want to go back to the statue thing. So my interpretation is, it seems like what this one of the messages of this movie is is that Cain spent spent all of his time his whole life trying to get the people to love him and and so a lot of the events are about whether they do love him or don't depending on what he does or doesn't how he fails at it how he succeeds at it and i think throughout his life buying statues was literally him buying people that couldn't leave him so he fills his house with people who can never leave him that <laughs> they're a captive audience basically they have to stay there mm. uh, with him and all these other people who have minds of their own, you know, they're not statues. He can't rely on them. Interesting theory. So I feel like that is what his obsession was with him, is buying people to love okay. him. So first I'll just say that is not the reason I collect Marvel Legends. Uh-huh, sure. And if that is the reason why he buys statues, that is where the comparisons stop because, <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> I just like looking at them. <laughs> I want to mention something about Oh, Rose. I thought you were the Mad Hatter. <laughs> um, <laughs> the I want to mention something about, about Rosebud. Um, those who didn't, who didn't, everyone who didn't, hadn't seen the movie before, including me, 
leading up to the end, were you getting excited about that you're going to finally find what Rosebud was? Or did you have an idea? I think, like, Fahad, you already mentioned you already mentioned that you figured Rosebud might be some kind of part of childhood. Yeah. And Eric, you said so yeah, you already knew about what was. So, Ruth and Shelley, would you, do you guys think you were going to find out at the end? Or was it getting too close to the end that you're like, uh oh, we're not, we're not going to find out? Like, what is this going to be? Like, as they panned over the, um, the collection, like, were you thinking you're going to see what Rosebud would be at the end? Does that make sense? Like, what, what, what was your, you guys, what was your guys thought, on, thought on that? Go ahead. I thought maybe because I was seeing these little synopsis or little things on the side while I was watching the movie um, on my computer from Amazon Prime. And they mentioned, um, I thought it might have been a person because they mentioned something about the name Rosebud. And I think whoever... I think who the movie was based on, it might have been. I'm not if I'm sure if I'm getting this correct, it might have been um a woman he was having an affair with or something like that. Um, but then I I got kind of between the like beginning and I, I started to go back and watch it again in the beginning after I ended it and to feel like I kind of understood it more. But when I but yeah, I thought it was gonna be if I wouldn't have gone back and looked at it again, I don't think I would have had as much of a idea of what it was about. <laughs> yeah. I'm just seeing at least what's what the rosebud was. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm like, oh, it's a slut in the beginning when he's a kid. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I I knew because my husband ruined it for me before. Oh I, no! <laughs> it was like blah 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 blah. This so this is this and this. So I knew. Um, I wish I didn't know. It would have been oh, a fun. Oh yeah, but. that's what. I was getting excited. I was like, "Ooh, what is this gonna be? What's what's the?" And then I, I, I like, I was shocked. Like, "Whoa, that's what it was! Childhood." Yeah. The last bit of normalcy before the crazy, yeah. Richie's so, world over. So, what, yeah. what was your last? In that huh? What was your what was your emotion in that moment? Was it like um, heartbreak or sort of? nostalgia or like exactly what what did you feel when it was revealed because it kind of um, wraps up the whole movie in a bow you know yeah it was i feel sad for him because because like because he it's felt like he did this because like, like i mentioned the last bit of normalcy in childhood and he got plucked away from his childhood to live this to get you know to get had this life with you know the, the, this, this uh trust fund and, and everything and then um i also felt it was Clever cleverness. That's that's a weird thing to say. I like what I like. I like, what, I like how it what it turned out to be. It's not that that was really. I think the word's not clever. Creative. I don't know. I, I like what it, I was excited to see what it turned out to be. It was nothing like I thought. I thought it was gonna be like something in a slow globe, as I mentioned earlier, with, with a little rose in there or something. Because he he said rosebud as he looked at the globe. Do you and know why realized, the snow, snow globe snow. reminded him of rosebud? The snow and and, and yeah, um, yeah. But <laughs> was, yeah. And before then, early on, I was like, okay, it must be a woman or something like that, Rosebud, and then, yeah. So it was exciting and sad to define what it was, yeah. Yeah, I was sad, and yeah, because I was like really probably his last true happiness and innocence yeah. and everything, yeah, it's, it's taken away after that. He even mentions at one point as an adult that his mom's estate had been moved to a place and he was going to walk through it to try to look for something in particular, which oh. of course was oh, yeah. but he was trying to find. And, oh. uh, and another layer of the sadness at the end is that it kind of shows that though he died an old man, he was kind of a little boy his whole life. Oh. The, same, the same little boy who just wanted to get back to that innocence, to that feeling of love. 
Yeah. Ever, ever got it. <laughs> so, well, even with his best friend, is it Je- Jedediah or however you say his name? Yeah. Um, I guess they were they were supposed to be best friends, but then they started to have a falling out or they were never really close or yeah i think it's just like his first wife jedediah saw him change over the years and in the end didn't like it where he ended up but but kane wasn't gonna change anything yeah so seems like um like his second wife and and like his best friend like i'm just like they got real sad and went to drinking and everything like that and got depressed from it's sad. Here's like- a here's a question. Why do you guys think that it's the movie is called Citizen Kane? I was thinking about that when before I even started. Like, what what, what makes this one of the best movies of all time with this name? Like, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know what to. I, I knew. I felt like it has something to do with power and, and leading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 my, that's my only thing. Um, oh, that how he's happy to be an American. Yeah. I mean, I think he has a good point because it um, calling him Citizen Kane kind of brings him back down to the level of regular people. That's where I was going with it, too, is like, you know, obviously his life, it's very sensationalized and you see Mm -hmm. his rise. Right. And you see he becomes this millionaire at 25, owns this newspaper, you know, tries to run for governor. And he's like this bigger than life character. But when you really look at his life. You know, he's just a citizen. Like, you know, like Takiya's saying, it just brings it back down to this is the life about a person. Let's tell you about him. And we're going to just bring him back down to that level uh, because at the end, end, we're all leading people or being a leader of something or dominating or something. I don't know. Something like that. Yeah. But on this side, it's the opposite because he's just a citizen like everybody else. We're all citizens of the world and he's one of them. Or maybe. Maybe it's a, supposed to be a little bit of a slap in the face to the character and the person the character was based on, because you know in the movie he tries to become governor, right? But he loses, so he never really gets to be king of anybody. So it's like saying you're just one of the people. Like you may think you have all this power, but you're just a person. Um, I don't know, but I wanted to say on the subject of the broader subject of whether it's a cinematic masterpiece. Now that I'm thinking it through, thanks to this conversation. I am thinking about if this movie was made today, it would be very impressive because think about it. This this script was written and the movie was filmed uh, based on a not very, not even very subtly based on a real person who existed at the time, who had a lot of power at the time. So imagine if somebody did that now, uh, very loosely based on the life of somebody with that much power uh, but but used the film to sort of tell their own story about it and to humanize that person almost to make them a child again to say you you know you're you're not that impressive inside you're just a little boy uh, and imagine that person is still existing today you know like while that movie comes out imagine how angry they'd be especially if everyone kind of knew well we know who this is about you know it, that's a very bold move it's a very very bold kind of movie to make. Hmm. I mean, it, it, those types of movies are definitely very bold to make when it's loosely based off of a real person, but pretty much everybody can figure out who that real person is um, at a very, I mean, oh, no. you know, Devil Wears Prada. I was just thinking about yeah. that. Oh, okay. I was going to ask if there were examples. That's- yeah, Devil Wears Prada, right, is Anna Winter. She was even named 
Oh no, well, she wasn't named something. Um, well, De Devil Wears Prada definitely uses her as inspiration. Ugly Betty uses the character Faye Winters, Anna Wintour, Faye Summers, yeah. Faye Summers, Summers Winter, you know? Yeah. Uh, so they use the character of Faye Summers, who's loosely based off of Anna, Anna as well. That's kind of funny, two different things based off of this one person. But um, yeah, so I, I don't know if they have, I've never read any reactions Anna has had to either of those depictions. Well, at least at least those are comedy, right? True. Imagine if somebody did that, but total straight drama. Uh, I wonder if she would have a problem with it, and it would certainly be scandalous, right? Everyone who talked about it would sort of be sort of skirting around the fact that it's about her. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I think that's very impressive, and uh, so when I think about it in terms of that, like coming out in 1941 with that, like with the the, the subject matter. That is, um, it's very, very interesting. And I can see why, you know, that that's really powerful filmmaking. Especially when the person's in charge of like newspapers and can yeah. only mold the way people think of you or this movie yeah. any way they want. Let's talk about the fact that he built a whole freaking opera house for his girlfriend to be able to perform in. Oh. Crazy, that opera house was huge. Yeah. And, you know, you actually got like a whole opera created and all just for your girlfriend to be able to sing. Um, that just shows you like the kind of money and power this guy has. Yeah. Um, he, he's, he did a lot of interesting things with his money. Some of the stuff I was like, oh, I wish I could go and hang out with them. Like, you know, doing the whole thing, uh, you know, at the end where he goes on the trip with his wife and all those other people come along and they're having like the big party on the is it the beach or something? I was like, oh, that would be fun. The funniest part, though, or weirdest thing that I thought about throughout all of this is why aren't they showing food? I want to see them eat, like, lavish, like, meals, yeah. like, lobster and steak and all this stuff. But I don't recall them ever eating. <laughs> they need to eat. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's just a fascination I have watching rich people eat because I want to see the kinds of things they're going to eat. <laughs> and... Uh, and the moment I was like, oh, we get to see like a bunch of guys sitting around smoking cigars and eating steaks or something. They weren't eating anything. They were just smoking cigars and drinking. <laughs> of course, you needed food. <laughs> I did. I'm going to have to knock it down at least a quarter. For <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So Takia, quotes. One I liked was the one of the old age. It's old age. It's the only disease that you don't look forward to being cured of. <laughs> when he was talking to Jerry Constant, I like that. I remember that, that interpret that differently, or did you everyone kind of figure out what, what that was pretty much? Well, it's funny. The first time, like when I heard it the first time, I was like, that doesn't make sense because you'd want to be cured from old age, meaning that there's a cure to old age that you can live forever. But then I was like, oh, the cure he's talking about is death. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> I was taking it the other way around. Like Eric, you want to live forever? That's a cure to old age. But then I realized what he was really getting at, and I was like, "Oh, that's really depressing." Yeah. <laughs> I like the one too about um, if I'd been, if I had been very, if I hadn't been very rich, I might have been a really great man. Guessing with that one. Yeah. That makes sense for sure to me. Yeah. I hadn't been rich yeah and which brings back it back to like the sled because that was the last time that he didn't have a lot of money that was mm -hmm. what he wanted to get back to so that's depressing yeah. yeah you know what's depressing to me is that that you can't be a really great man if you're rich like if you have all those resources why can't you find a way 
to do it right. I don't understand that because I mean, you can't, when you have nothing, there's not much you can do for the world. You, even if you have great ideas or you're a good person, you can't have a big effect, but then it's all the rich people who have a really big effect on the world, but not a good one. Wow. <laughs> I just don't know. I don't understand. I think about this a lot when I think about rich people and how they fall and how they get corrupted and they end up doing things and they ruin their lives and other people's lives. And, and if there's eventually at the end of their lives, there's some sort of scandal and some of them go to jail and, you know, <laughs> they lose everything. And, and I just think why, how, how was it so difficult for you to make this work? You had everything the rest of us want and we don't have, and you couldn't do good things. I don't think it's the money's problem. It's, it's, I think it's just human beings. It's hard or is there just more of a, more eyes on you because you are rich that it's you, you know, like maybe everybody's inherently bad. And if we all were at that level, any one of us could be caught doing any one of those bad things. I it's just so. they're out there. It's like people ask, why do celebrities cheat so much? Why do they? It's because we are all watching them. We know when they cheat. Regular people cheat too. It's just you don't hear about it on the news. But also celebrities cheat because they can. And everyone likes to think, oh, but if I was a celebrity, I wouldn't. But then they become a celebrity and they do the same damn thing. And it's like, okay, well. I guess uh, uh, we, we are only good people when we have nothing. And when we get stuff, we realize that inherently, I mean, th this is a very misanthropic point of view, but I think fundamentally people are just bad. <laughs> and if you give them too much money and too much power, every single person ends up being a bad person with rare exception. I mean, I'm sure there's a, one or two people out there where you can say, hey, they had it all and they were really good. But basically it's just everyone. I guess also the level of bad, right? Not everybody's out there like doing these horrible acts that every, not every rich person should go to jail. I'm yeah. assuming none of them are doing stuff that requires them to go to jail, but, but it's yeah. unfortunate though, when you hear like the, oh, this person just got caught for doing this. And you're like, really that person? <laughs> um, I hate that. I live in fear. <laughs> <laughs> it's, well, it's like that whole um, college scandal from a few years ago. Lori yeah. Laughlin. Well, and um, Felicity, uh, Felicity, uh, yeah. Yeah. and just random rich people that aren't famous, they were yeah. too. For, for me, and probably a lot of us, I definitely, Fahad probably, Lori Loughlin was like America's sweetheart. Like from watching her in Full House, oh my God, I love Aunt Betty. Yeah. What a sweetheart. So that really broke my heart. I was like, she was involved in something like this? Come on. Well, and see, yeah, and that was sad from that perspective, but Felicity Huffman was sad from the perspective of, I always thought she was like a high morals, upstanding person. Yeah, just I respect the character she portrayed on Desperate Housewives. I just got that vibe from her. Yeah. So Takia, do you want to hear my favorite quote? <laughs> Take Is that, that as a yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it's when um, she's done, uh, or she's had her first opera debut, Susan Alexander, but it, the reviews are terrible. And she's sitting in that room surrounded by the reviews with, with, uh, with Kane and she's yelling at him. And that's the, that's the one moment in the movie where her like sort of personality, I'm like, oh, she's kind of grating and irritating, but I think she was just really upset and it just came out really like haranguing. Um, but she, she screams at him. I'm the one that has to, I'm the one that gets all the raspberries. <laughs> and uh, it's just really cute. <laughs> <laughs> that she would say it that way. We don't really talk that way anymore. I mean, we all know what raspberries are, right? We still have the Razzies, the awards for the worst performances and stuff. She's like, I'm the one to get all the raspberries. And it was just, it was very adorable. And I laughed a little bit. I thought that was very adorable. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
And of course I shared the, the last quote she says to Kane before she leaves him. I thought was very impressive. Yes. Well, I say what shares about how sweet she was. And then I feel like he kind of, you know, didn't bring the best out of her after a while because of how awful and controlling he was and all that here. So she became an alcoholic, you know? Yeah, exactly. It was sad. It was sad to see what happened to her just because out of everybody, she was my favorite character. And it was just sad to see what this man's world did to her. Yeah. She's collateral damage. It's, 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 it's not cool. Yeah. Sad. Oh, Sorry, one, one thing we didn't, t- we talked about briefly, but didn't really get into it was how um, his opponent, you know, found out about the affair and how he confronted um, him about it. I was like, that's very risky that you're going there in person. Like I thought people had people for that, you know, like you would yeah. have had a guy that's staking out that area. And when um, Kane comes over, he's like, hey, so we have this dirt on, you know, like that kind of stuff. But I was like, whoa, the opponent is the guy standing in the shadows and revealing himself. <laughs> and I was like, that's a really risky move for you to be doing, mister. I thought that was kind yeah. of respectable. And that whole campaign, play, I found myself thinking, is this guy really the person that Kane keeps making him out to be in the papers and in his speeches? Like, is he really a bad dude that needs to be ousted so that Kane can be governor? Or is he just saying these things because like he does in the paper all the time, this is the public public opinion he wants to shape because Getty's going there to actually meet with him in person, I thought was very upstanding. Like he's like, I'm not going to ask somebody else to do this. I'm going to be here and I'm going to tell you, you're saying a lot of awful things about me, but you're, you're like, uh, I'm sure Takia knows the parable of the plank in the eye. No. famous bible story about how you should not uh cast stones at other people it's about glass houses thing because you should see you know the plank in your own eye um it's a weird parable but but yeah it's it's sort of like uh you're you're spreading a lot of crap about me but your life is not in order and if you're going to continue to do this in order to win a race then it's going to come to light so you have a choice to make you can continue with this or you can drop out he doesn't and he and the truth comes out about him and he loses the race and it's like you know i mean you can say what you want about mudslinging in a campaign like should you release personal things about people but i mean if somebody is already doing it to you then i would say yeah the 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 public deserves to know the truth about the person who's doing the mudslinging why not i mean if their choice is to elect somebody they think is morally superior then then be honest about how unmorally superior the opponent is yeah it's it's definitely uh one of those things i think candidates have to struggle with is what kind of a campaign are they going to run what are they going to be willing to say about the other person or not um leslie nope struggled with it in parks and rec when she was running uh for city council um you know did she want to run a negative ad campaign um which was going to be really easy to do for her opponent because he had no right running it was uh he was played by paul rudd um he didn't even really know what he was running for basically he was the heir of that candy company right yeah Mm. Um, (laughs) but uh yeah so anyway so i think it's yeah definitely a big struggle so i mean i we we didn't get to know much about the opponent really like was he i wondered like is he really as bad as kane makes him out to be because kane is not trustworthy 
Right. But is it Kane making him out to be the bad guy or is it the person telling us a story about what happened making him out to be the bad guy or, you know? True, yeah. Because really what we're learning about Kane's life is from the perspective of each of these people. I forgot yeah. who, who was it that told us that story? Was it his ex-wife? No. Oh, they the ex-wife. Second ex-wife. His ex-wife was dead. So no, 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 no. Second ex-wife. Oh. <laughs> <I> don't <know. laughs> yeah, I don't remember. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know who else would have known that that moment happened. That I lost track of that. I lost track of who was being interviewed at each time. (laughs) (laughs) So anything else anybody wanted to share or add before we move on to uh, the other portions of this evening? (laughs) What did you think about uh, what he said about um, what would you have liked to have been everything you hate? So uh, like, would you guys, how did you guys interpret that? Just that a lot of the stuff he was doing was just spite Thatcher. A lot of the stuff he wanted to do in life was just despite him because he, I think he ultimately blames Thatcher for stealing his childhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's also not a very mature thing because it basically means Kane wasn't really making decisions for himself, what he wanted. It was just whatever he thought would piss off people, uh, not just Thatcher, but anybody in the world who told him he couldn't do something or wasn't good enough. That, and that's, I mean, that's why he built an opera house and forced Susan Alexander to be an opera because as they say in the movie, in those first headlines, uh, when the affair broke, they quoted Singer, like she's not a real singer. So he was like, you know what? I'm not, not only was this not an affair, but I'm going to marry her. And not only is she not a singer, but she's an impressive opera singer. And I'm going to prove it to you all. I mean, it was like not even about other people it was just, or what he wanted or what anyone wanted. It was just like proving people wrong about stuff. Yeah. Okay. I never thought um, there was a moment that I wondered if you guys noticed when uh they're doing that montage sequence that shows him and his first wife emily through the years having dinner you know oh Uh, i like and how it starts out really nice but it gets more contentious did you notice in the very final scene he's they're not talking at all because it's reduced to silence they're just both reading the paper but did you notice he's reading his paper and she's reading the chronicle oh (laughs) which is like her biggest fuck you to him she's like you know what I'm not even reading the paper that you run. I'm reading the <laughs> original rival. <laughs> I didn't notice that. Yeah. I was like, ooh, girl, that is some good shade. <laughs> Burn. Good. <laughs> I, I also love that about movies from this era is people knew how to be really like, like subtly sarcastic. Like you could get yeah. a real good jab in without yeah. being really obvious about it. It was like, that's very impressive. It's very clever. Yeah. Was that has had Orson Welles acted in movies before? I thought I thought I read that he this was his debut. Could be was wrong. Um, I want to. I'm trying to look it up right now, but for some reason, I'm pretty sure he had because he was he had the clout to get this made. Well, he had the the radio show of the the um, aliens. What was that one? War of the World. War of the World. War of the Worlds. That had already happened. Yeah, that had happened in 1938, three years before this movie. Yeah. Uh, and when this movie was made, he when this movie was released, he was actually only 25. Wow. So to, to pull this off, that so, was impressive. So this was his first real acting movie. He was a narrator in two movies before that, and then played himself in the Citizen Kane trailer. But Citizen Kane is the first time he played a character in a movie. Oh, so, okay. That's- by the way, did you guys ever watch Pinky and the Brain on Animani- Animaniacs? Yeah. Watch. Yeah. I did a little bit. Take over the world. Brain is basically based on Orson Welles. Huh. 
Oh, like his facial features, the way he talks, you know, that oh, he uses. I can see that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can see um, that. Well, the reason I was asking is I just thought he did a really good job. Oh, yeah. yeah. His first acting role, especially the fact that he had to play somebody at 25 and then at like 35, at 45, 55. Yeah. Like, yeah. He had to play this guy through all those ages. Um, and he showed a wide range of like emotions and reactions to people. And you know, I just thought he did a really good job. I thought a lot of the people who were debuting for the first time did a pretty decent job. Yeah. I wonder what they used for makeup back then in terms of making people older. Like, you know, you have prosthetics and stuff now and all that, the rubber stuff. I wonder what exactly would they, they use back then too. I think it was just glue. Did you guys have like, yeah, you guys ever take Elmer's glue and put it all over your hand? <laughs> and when it dried, it makes your hand look all wrinkly and old. Yeah. Well, I think the under eye stuff, I think part sometimes it looked like it was like marker or something like or just like um or blood or what I don't know, makeup. What what's the stuff like the powder stuff? Foundation eyeshadow. Eyeshadow maybe like that they some of that under their eyes. It did look at one point like Susan Alexander just had lines drawn. That's, that's yeah. what I noticed the most. Was, I mean, it worked. Yeah. It's fine. I mean, yeah. it's well, back then, black and white. Out. Sure. Back then when it came out, you probably couldn't tell. Like, oh, I'm, I'm sure, saying right. for the quality we're watching it in now, you can see like Orson Welles when he was in the scene where she was on the floor all mad mm-hmm. about the reviews. That's where you could see the line along his bald cap that they had put oh. on. And it was so <laughs> evident. And I'm like, you know what? It might not have been evident back then, but it's funny because that line you could see, but then when he was older and more bald, they did a much better job blending. I thought so too. Yeah. 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 I am um... like it took me a while to realize it was the same actor playing playing the young version and the yeah, older. Yeah, that's version. yeah. I was I was going to mention that we we kind of have to talk about this movie um, ha- about how we feel about watching it now, but also how we imagine it would be in context. Like Fahad's like trying to put his 1941 hat on, boom, and, and think of it that way. Uh, but you know nowadays you know we have better resolution, obviously, so we can see things a little bit more clearly, especially if it's been restored. And and um, and yet some things that I saw kind of impressed me, like if some of those more like uh, impressive s- set pieces in the scenes. If you notice, like the background was not just like a matte painting to look like, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was actually like they were projecting another film onto a screen right there in the scene. Oh, um, yeah. Like in the, the scene where they go to, on the tent camp out and she's like, oh, why do we want to stay in tents? You know, blah, 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 blah. Uh, in the tent camp out, there's a screen where they project. That way you, you can actually see birds flying I by. I saw that, yeah. It looks more like it's, yeah, like an extensive landscape. I was like, that's a very smart way to do it. So, so yeah. you get a little more action and it feels more real. And it was probably easier than having giant matte paintings painted for, for, for those moments. Well, and it gave you more realism. Like you said, if you saw birds flying and stuff. Yeah, I thought that was, that was like, that's a good trick. You know? yeah. And um, I, as I, I mentioned uh, earlier too, like the way they did a lot of the shots, like there were crane shots and they used miniatures uh, for certain scenes, but they, you know, it was a miniature to show the outside of Susan Alexander's lounge where she was a singer. So they would, they would uh, do the like crane shot quote unquote um, into that. But then once you go through the skylight, it becomes the real place and it worked seamlessly. And I was like, this is it did. It's yeah. in a very impressive shot to, 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 to get in there. And it really helps with the, like the grandeur of the film. Yeah. And, and I also think that, uh, you know, 
like uh, Fahad said, he doesn't always like movies back at this time, like black and white. And I mentioned that sometimes they look a little flat. Even I can say like, they look a little flat sometimes. This movie did not look flat. Like they used these really impressive shots for almost every scene, like real, like a lot of crazy, like putting people in certain positions, like a depth of focus, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, or different angles that really created this depth. So every, every scene, every shot was very dynamic. So you don't, you're not bored with it, no matter what the scene is. You're like, oh, what's going on here, you know? And I, I've seen movies where I enjoyed them, but they definitely don't use that kind of dynamic filmmaking. And yeah. uh, so it's, it's used, we're used to it now. People shoot things like that all the time. But I'm sure at the, at, back then, that was really in, impressive. Which would be why, one of the reasons why people would say it's a cinematic masterpiece, because of what it took to get it made at that time definitely okay. and that it still stands up yeah i think i think for the most part it pretty much stands up like watching it now and the kind of quality we're able to watch it now and the effects that we are used to these days i mean like we're able to say oh those are little miniatures they used at the end scene but maybe back then you know it looked realistic it's like wow look at what they're showing us and yeah um it definitely did have a big kind of feel to it with a lot of the shots and stuff um, actually, that scene where it was panning around the, um, the his collection, that kind of a shot reminded me of the opening shot in The Shining where it's, you know, going around the mountainscape and everything. And, you know, I remember being very impressed with that. Like, this is an old movie and they're able to get such a beautiful, like, shot done. You know, yeah. I had the same kind of thought here. I was like, this is a very nice, like, camera pan out um, or up in from this collection. Yeah. Uh, so there are definitely things like, you know, watching movies from like the 80s I sit and I watch I'm like okay that, it kind of takes you out of it a bit you know watching some of the special effects and uh, even though you know people really appreciate those because they're real effects that are being used and it's not CGI it's just where you're so used to CGI these days that things need to look real otherwise we're taken out of it I for the most part was not taken out of this movie except just with the collection at the end because I could tell oh those are miniatures but for the most part I just watched it like I'm watching this happening so I think that's a pretty good test, like big testament to the quality of the filmmaking. Yeah. And the effects. Okay. It's that time again for Bum Recast. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> Are we cutting out the laughter or do we go again? No, no, that go ahead. Go ahead. Continue. <laughs> you giggled a lot. I know. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Jesus. We close each episode with the recast game, where we each play casting director and choose a different actor from any era, living or dead, to portray a character in the film instead. It doesn't mean that we thought the person did a bad job. It just means that we thought of a different person that could have brought a different flavor to the movie. Um, so first up is me. I will go first. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, you. And I'm also the first person I see on my screen. (laughs) (laughs) So for my recast, I decided to recast Thatcher. Thatcher was the person who took over a guardianship of Kane. Um, And I decided to recast him with, uh, if we were to make the movie today, with Stanley Tucci. Okay. Um, Which is kind of funny because we were talking about Devil Wears Prada just earlier. But uh, yeah, so I thought that he'd play an interesting kind of foil to young Thatcher um, and 25-year-old Thatcher. 
just because because he can give off that kind of prim and proper and like what are you doing business 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 numbers numbers you know kind of a uh, vibe so I went with Stanley Tucci. Uh, so next up for me on this list is Shelly. Ooh, yay. Okay. I recast um, Kane with someone that I think could have done a good job playing him at all the different ages. Leo. Leonardo DiCaprio. Ooh, that's so cool. Wow. There, there the were... He's a big Leo fan. Am I? Are you the one who's a big Leo fan or is that too cute? I'm a big Leo, not hugely, but I'm a big Leo fan, I would say. Yeah. Um, it was, it's interesting because there were a lot of times when I was watching it that I was like, oh, he kind of looks like Leonardo DiCaprio there. Um, he, he, in some angles, he looked like Leonardo DiCaprio playing Jack Nicholson. Oh. <laughs> it's kind of like if you put that together you could get like this cane character how many how many years before that happens <laughs> actually not that far off story starring leo DiCaprio. Yeah. um but yeah shelly i can see that for sure yeah, that makes sense so so far this movie stars leonardo dicaprio and stanley tucci um <laughs> we'll move on now to eric okay so i want to start first by saying uh two things that I know that uh, the movie reminded me of, and I'm wondering if it reminded anyone else. Um, Susan Alexander's character, uh, as she gets older, you know, and a little more like sort of, she's just like plaything and he's forcing her to do stuff. She reminded me of Leah Thompson in Back to the Future 2 in that alternate dystopian future in Vegas or whatever it was where <laughs> yeah. she's like wearing, it's got those terrible boobs and, and she dates her life. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my God, Leah Thompson. <laughs> um, and then the other thing was uh, at the very end when we see Kane at his oldest. Uh, well, actually throughout the movie, I was like, I think he's turning into Marlon Brando in oh. uh, Island of Dr. Moreau. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, so, okay, yeah. but for my recast, I actually have three. <laughs> so I had those two. And now you have actual three recasts. Now what? I have three recasts. That's a yes. <laughs> Okay, so so first for his uh, best friend Jed Leland, Broadway Jed, as they called him, um, who was played by Joseph Cotton in this movie, which who was very famous after this. Uh, I thought that he could be played by Neil McDonough, which I, I know Fahad knows. Uh, he's played. Uh, both Dum Dum Dugan in the Marvel Universe and Damian Dark in the DC Universe, which are both DD names, which is very weird. <laughs> and and uh, he was also, Edie, for Takia to know, he was Edie Britt's husband in Desperate Housewives. Yes. Oh, what's his name again? Neil McDonough. Oh, I remember, yeah. He actually, he, he, uh, uh, quick fact, he wouldn't do sex scenes because of his Catholicism. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I like him and I think he has an interesting presence about him and he kind of, Joseph Cotton reminded me of him throughout the whole movie, like the tight blonde curls and like the really like, you know, kind eyes and- He has a steely, steely blue eyes to Neil McDonald. Yeah, I, I like him a lot. Yeah. I, I love um, his look. <laughs> sorry, I just, need to, I just need to say something on what Takia told us about. So he refused to do those types of scenes for Desperate Housewives because of his Catholicism, mm -hmm. yet he took on the role of Edie Britt's husband. I mean, well, you can, if you he had watched the show, you should have known that's maybe not the part I should be going for. Oh, I, I see. I see. <laughs> of all the characters, you know. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Well, I, uh, I'm sorry. The backtrack really quickly. Um, the guy from I never saw this movie, but um, what's that? Um, Fifty Shades of Grey. The, the the guy who played Christian Grey. 
Jamie Dornan? I think he got in. He got. I, I think something. He, well, he got in trouble with his wife for doing scenes, sex scenes, and I. I never, I never saw this movie, but I, was saying, I, I read. I read this, and I was thinking the same thing. Why choose those movies? And yeah, if, you yeah, know, that movie is about floor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, especially that movie. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, go go back to what we were doing. But yeah, I just I just that reminded me of that when you said that about um, yeah. Yeah. So I thought I thought Neil McDonough, uh, he plays a good sort of best friend, like a, a conscience, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would have been a good foil to borrow Fahad's word for for Kane. Uh, and then I thought uh, that for Susan Alexander, I would have liked to have seen Mira Sorvino play her. Oh, I've seen her play some similar roles like Ingenue becomes star, but, you know, struggles with it, conf- has conflict with it uh and she has definitely played like the sort of you know like in mighty aphrodite the you know slightly naive um uh, lower class person romy michelle uh, high school union and romy michelle she's <laughs> a little bit dumb there and <laughs> but with like a good heart and yeah. who's, who's a lot smarter than you might give her credit for oh yeah and so i thought like oh that she, she would make a lot of sense for that um and so then for kane <laughs> i thought kelsey Grammer could play him Oh uh, yeah, but but then I thought like in in this version of the movie we would have a different person play the young Charles Kane. Mm-hmm. So I guess this is my sixth recast. <laughs> so the <laughs> older 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 Charles Foster Kane would be Kelsey Grammer, but young Charles Foster Kane would be James Vanderbeek. Uh, for a younger Kelsey Grammer, uh, he's not saying for a younger. Oh yeah. <laughs> if you were gonna have Kelsey Grammer play the older version, James Vanderbeek would be a younger version of. That. Yes. Again, I was thinking about Orson Welles, like, whoa, James yeah. Vanderbeek with that no. tiny little shaped um. face. Like, <laughs> I was so, like, what? I get it. <laughs> so, Eric, I did want to say for, for Kane's character, you know who he actually did remind me of, at least Orson Welles at the age, like the 25 age range? Alexander oh. Calvert. Is that his name? Oh, but like with more weight? A little bit more weight. I mean, at the 25 age. But yeah, like there were yeah. times in his face where I was like, I could see him pull that okay. off. Um, which is weird because you know he also gives off that younger Leonardo DiCaprio vibe. Yeah. Um, so because at other times I was actually seeing Misha Collins, uh, but I was like Misha's a little too old to play the twenty-five-year-old version. But it's funny because those two look alike. Well, what, <laughs> what about what about Dane DeHaan? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, sorry, Misha Collins and Alex and Alex Calvert are. Uh, is it Calvert or Calvert? It's probably Calvert. I don't know. Like like Christopher Lambert. Yeah. Um, Stephen Colbert. <laughs> they are both people from. It's Calvert. Uh, they are both people from uh, Supernatural. So yeah. you all would not know who they are. <laughs> but anyways, uh, okay. So Eric, thank you for your six record <laughs> single movie. You can't count the first two, but whatever. I'm counting the first two because you put them out there. All right, all right. <laughs> um, so that now takes us to Ruth. Okay, well, um, I just, it made me think of, because I thought he would be good as a young um, Kane or older Kane. I thought hum- Humphrey Bogart would be really good. Um, yeah. I think he would be, have, have a good element because he's got like a good charming um, personality. I can see him being like a bad, like badass and stuff too. So. Yeah. By the way, Casablanca came out the year after this. Oh. It was making me think of that, yeah, because I was in the 1940s, but I think he's a great actor. I like him, too, so. I have not seen that movie. You have to see that. There's a lot of those older movies I have not seen like that. I haven't seen. I haven't seen, Gone with the Wind. I haven't seen Gone with the Wind. I haven't either. 
Yeah. Or so now that I've seen this, I'm like, maybe I should make a checklist and start checking those off. Yeah. <laughs> you guys should get that. Uh, it's like, it's a poster you can buy, like 100 movies you have to see before you die. Ooh. Or is it 1,000 movies before you have to see Ooh. before you die? Yeah. All of like classic musts, must sees. Mm-hmm. Start checking them off. You need just a thousand days, which is only three years. How many years? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> every night you watch a movie for three years and you finished it and you can be the most impressive person everyone knows <laughs> Ruth thank you for your recast uh, let's move sure. on to Nakia I said recast Kane with uh, Michael Douglas because um, see he, he, he's very stoic and uh, professional in his roles with, with being on a, I think he had, like a, he had a Wall Street role and then uh, but another professional person, rich person, unfailed attraction. <laughs> um, it, well, he did, you know, despite all that stuff that happened. Um, and then he was another professional person in, I think, Dial M for Murder. But no, it's called something else, but the movie's based on Dial M for Murder. It was, was with um, Gwen Paltrow, 98. He was in that movie. Uh, and he's been in many, many movies, but he, yeah, he plays this nice kind of rich professional lawyer or some kind of financial businessman. Um, so I could see him doing this role as Kane, and I could see him aging with makeup to look older. Yeah, I or even like think about they use that de aging technology that they yes. use on Michael Douglas in the Ant Man movies. Yeah, to show us Michael Douglas in the past. Yeah, yeah. I, feel, I feel like the only movie he hasn't worn a suit in was probably Romancing the Stone. Oh, because <laughs> he was like a criminal, like yeah. a rogue. <laughs> but yeah, basically, he's always the guy in the suit. In the suit, yeah, exactly. Playing some rich guy, yeah. Hmm. Even in Ant Man, he's wearing a suit every all the time because oh. yes, he is. Even though he's retired, he's like super like proper. Yeah, he's a, yeah. He's that's what we think of him. Yeah, maybe it's something he has in all his contracts with every movie he does. <laughs> I would agree. He would. I would be disturbed to see him in a t-shirt. I, I don't know. That does not seem right to me. So <laughs> he's always in a trench coat, a long coat, a trench coat. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. awesome well thank you Takia, and thank you everybody those are some good recasts we have going for this movie um let's go on to the next portion which is to do our ratings uh, so as usual everybody open up your chat enter in your ratings uh zero to five you can do quarters or halves or three quarters um i guess just saying quarters means that as well and uh, just put your thumbs up when you're ready to hit enter. I will let you know. I'll count down to zero. And then on the word zero, hit enter. On the um, syllable then... row, we decided a long time ago. And what? We decided a long time ago it should be on the syllable row, uh, just to be really specific. So when I see Z, don't hit enter. But when I say row, hit enter. <laughs> yes. Um, so important, then... you guys. So important. And then Shelly, read out the, if you could read out the names of the people and their ratings for me. Um, okay, so let me put mine in. Takia, we can't see your thumb if you're oh, okay. I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> I can't see myself. I'm, I'm off. I'm, oh, okay. We can see your thumb now, though. Yeah. Um, okay, so three, two, one, Z, bro. <laughs> Z, bro. Z, bro. Are you ready? Uh, yep, just about. Okay. Okay. Ruth, 3.75. Eric, 4.5. Kane, 
You, 4.25. Okay. Takia, 3.5. Okay. And me, 3.75. Awesome. So that gives us an average of 3.95. Ooh, is this our highest? Um, I don't know. It still might be. What was the oh, other? Was high there rear were no five. five. There's rear window. Um, is a there was a four point oh five, right? Yeah, rear window is a four point one five. One five. Okay. Okay. Well, that wraps up everything to discuss about Citizen Kane. So let's go ahead and move on to Shelley, who's going to introduce our next movie. Okay. So my movie. Um, I, I had three different movies that I, I was thinking about, and there's this one movie that I really, really wanted to pick, but there is no way that I could tie it anything like to do with um, St. Patrick's Day at oh. all. Like, I thought of every angle and could not come up with a way. So I narrowed it down to two movies, and... I think that I am going to pick right in this moment the <laughs> movie where the man, hopefully y'all haven't seen this movie because I have not. It came out while we were in high school Ooh. and man, I believe it was 1998 and the man in this movie, re, um, he drinks white Russians and when he orders beer, he orders it as an oat soda, apparently. Does anyone I know? I've never heard this one. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay, good. So I assume you all haven't seen it. <laughs> is uh, it? <laughs> That's what I was going to guess. <laughs> what? Is it Have what? you all seen it? Anybody see? I've never seen it. I could. Which one? Oh, yeah. No, I never saw it. No, I've I never seen it. it. Which movie? I couldn't hear you. The Big Lebowski. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it. <laughs> so I just have not. Yeah? You saw I'm, it? I'm the only, I'm the only I one. I have not. Seen it? I haven't seen it. Nope. nope, never seen it. How does this tie into Iron? I remember the poster. Um, the, he's drinking oat soda. And white Russians. Oat <laughs> So beer is the connection. <laughs> yes, and and last week you said that you gave me that idea. <laughs> you said they, it doesn't have to be directly related to it. They could just drink beer. <laughs> well, not like just once in the movie, but you know, <laughs> I'm assuming he drinks beer often. I, he drinks white Russians often. I like this. Oh. Well, in Russia and Ireland are both in Europe. <laughs> I think I think Russia is Asiatic, still European. What alcohol? I don't know. You keep giving me the difficult assignments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, didn't you have New Year's? Yes. <laughs> Stop the presses! I declare this episode of Old Fogies and Films concluded. Thanks for joining us for this trip down someone else's memory lane. You can find us on Facebook and find our list on Letterboxd. Don't forget to leave a comment or review. Everybody say bye. 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 And scene.
was actually thinking of watching Encan- Encanto tonight. Oh, oh that's happy. Yeah, roll the door. Violet watches that every day. Have you watched uh, it? Is it any good? Oh. I mean, people seem to be talking about it. And there's a song everybody's talking about that I don't want to listen to until I see the movie. So uh, it's like, what is it? We don't talk about Bruno? Is that what it's yeah. called? Yeah. Who's Bruno? Oh, okay. We don't talk about it. Yeah. We don't talk about it. And talk about it. <laughs> and I'm assuming it's not Sasha Baron Cohen's Bruno. <laughs> Bruno Mars. <laughs> Or Bruno Mars. It's um, Bruno, your caseworker. <laughs> Bruno. A little Beetlejuice joke for you. Yes. <laughs>